Point Transportation Commission and Planning Commission meeting for October 25th, 2023. So tonight, uh, Brian and I are going to be jointly uh, co-chairing, and uh, we're going to start off with roll call. Dave DeBolt? No. Brian McGee? Here. Shri Balamurgan? Here. Patrick Vu? Present. AJ Antrim? Here. Tracy Trexel? Here. Caitlin Goodman? Here remotely. Ryan Miller? Scott Rooser? Here. Rodney Rutherford? Here. Angela Rosman? Here. John Tim? Here. Tim Chisholm? Katya Allen? Yes. Sandeep Single? Here. Bria Heiser? Here. Great. Okay. Um, so before we start, uh, do we have any items or comments from the audience? And I don't see any audience present, but do we have audience members remotely that would like to speak before our meeting? There are no attendees on. Okay, great. Um, then I think we can start right in on our update from staff. Thank you, Chair Reeser. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is Doug McIntyre. I'm the Transportation Manager in the Public Works Department. And with me tonight is Kim Scrivener, who's our Transportation Planner. Um, to my left is Julie Underwood, our Director. Um, and also, I should introduce Adam, uh, the Planning uh, and Building Director. Uh, so tonight, we have a really great uh, presentation for both commissions. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good conversation. We have two main focus areas, as you've noticed in the agenda packet. Um, first, we uh, would like to bring the land use goals and policies and actions uh, where we think um, the intersection and kind of synergy of these two commissions is. Um, so we'll have a presentation on those, and then we will shift into a discussion on the project prioritization framework, which Kim will get into more detail on, but as a high-level overview is um, a, a really large component of the Kirkland Transportation Plan, which uh, will be inc included in the comprehensive plan, um, is a 20-year project list, and we will be prioritizing the projects in that list. Um, and so the first step in doing that is identifying a framework to make the prioritization um, uh, flow. So we'll go over that, and the, um, the ask for that is to get the commission's input on uh, the criteria and the framework and not necessarily discuss prioritizing of the project. So I just want to make that clear up front. Um, so with that intro, I will turn it over to Kim. Um, all right, good to go. We are almost good to go. Um, little trying to get the presentation up um, and also get it shared. So give us one, one moment, please. Um, while that's happening, I just want to thank everybody for um, uh, 
particularly the, the Planning Commission for coming on a, on a different night um, than you normally would. Appreciate you modifying your schedule. And um, there's a lot of uh, work done with, the, with staff to um, get this organized and um, also for the Transportation Commission for hosting the joint meeting. So um, really looking forward to this discussion today. Um, as Doug mentioned, we are updating our transportation plan, formerly known as the Transportation Master Plan. We are calling this the Kirkland Transportation Plan, KTP. Um, we are, um, as part of this update to our transportation plan, um, we're doing this in coordination with the, the comprehensive plan update, um, which will be um, included um, with the, pretty much the similar timing um, with, the, with the comprehensive plan. We may be um, the essentially the transportation plan. Thank you. Um, is uh, well. Now that we have our slides up, we're just gonna. Um, so today we're gonna um, give you a little bit of background, um, and then our focus today is really to talk through the the policies related to the link to land use goal, and so. Um, there is a, the transportation and land use are intricately linked um, in, and because of this we have been coordinating quite a lot with the planning department and the link to la in the land use element, um, so much so even in our original um, kind of coordination and um, outreach with focus groups, um, we combined both the transportation and land use um, elements um, because for that reason. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the, the project list and the prioritization, and particularly the prioritization measures. Um, I would like to focus on, to start with the prioritization measures that, link, that are related to the link to land use goal. I mean, if there's time, we can talk about them in general. Um, so as a background, um, you'll probably recognize the coloring of these slides that are associated um, from our planning department for the comprehensive plan, but just wanted to give everybody a reminder. Um, our um, comprehensive plan is updated eight, uh, it's, uh, every eight years as a requirement under the Growth Management Act. And then um, the, the policies in the, the comprehensive plan and as well as the transportation plan um, must be consistent with the, not just the Growth Management Act, but with the regional multi-county planning policies, the countywide planning policies. Um, and um, we do have um, uh, growth targets um, that uh, on, the, on the land use side, um, we do need to meet. Um, we have been coordinating with the, the planning team um, in terms of um, they're kind of looking at the, the land use capacity and um, uh, we are well set to um, reach those targets. Can you add on to that, Adam? <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, kind of moving on to the, the transportation plan, um, just also as a reminder, you've all seen this slide before, but it serves two technical functions. 
the it serves as the transportation element in the comp plan and so pretty much the the core pieces of the the transportation plan the goals the policies and the project list um, will be become the transportation element in the comprehensive plan but the the KTP is a standalone plan so we'll be elaborating more on a variety of topics. Um, it'll have more detail, a little bit more analysis. So the, just a reminder of the major elements. Um, uh, we look at existing and future conditions. As I mentioned, the goals, policies, and actions. We'll be talking about the, the constrained project list today. Um, we, as I mentioned, we've been coordinating with the, the planning department on the transportation modeling along with the land use. So that is another way that the land use element and the transportation are coordinated. We look at both existing conditions and future conditions, and that model does include all of the inputs for kind of the future look at land use and transportation, um, as well as existing. So that um, those four first four bullets are, are underway. Um, in terms of multimodal concurrency, I'll talk about that a little bit more um, as we um, when we get to that goal, and then um, and then we'll be um, updating our we'll be looking at our performance uh, monitoring program. I just wanted to mention that that piece is a, is different than what we're talking about today when we talk about prioritization measures. That's really related to that third bullet to the constrained project list. Um, really, how do projects, um, you know, how do we see which ones really um, implement our goals the best? And when we get into performance monitoring, that's really about how well are we doing when we build out our system. So it's a little different. Um, so our goal, link to land use, uh, coordinate transportation and land use planning and policies to ensure future growth is supported and sustained by a livable, walkable, connected and transit-oriented city. Um, the policy is related to this. I know there are a lot of words on the slide. Um, I will, um, I'm going to um, uh, go over these individually. So, um, um, uh, but I just wanted you to see them all in one place. Um, essentially the themes are looking at our, um, at our you know, coordinating with our projects um, expanding our walkable neighborhoods, that we're coordinating with our various land uses and economic development, looking at transportation impacts, and particularly when development occurs, um, taking a look at our interconnected network, making sure people can get to where they need to go, and then um, the multimodal um, concurrency method, which I'll talk about when we get to that one. So the first goal uh, excuse me, the first policy um, supports the, the fiscally constrained 20-year project list. And so um, we'll be talking about this more a little bit later, um, but essentially the, the actions associated with this are to coordinate with our planning and building department and to ensure um, that our projects that are identified in our six-year transportation improvement program are aligned with our, our growth patterns. And um, what I'd like to suggest is that I do have a discussion slide at the end of going through these um, policies and actions. Um, I, should, I should have noted on these slides that these smaller bullets are the actions that you have in front of you. Um, and so if you can't read the slides up there very well, um, I did 
print out um, them on paper. Um, apologize for the wasting of paper, but I kind of wanted to make sure that it was kind of big enough for you to read. Um, but if you're, as we go through this, before we get to the discussion slide, feel free to interrupt um, if you have any specific questions or comments. So the next policy, um, the, the focus on um, expanding and improving walkable neighborhoods. So our actions are to are prioritizing our system improvements um, with greater emphasis on residential employment density. So this gets a little bit into our um, prioritization measure that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, improve how we coordinate with developers on um, achieving level of service that supports multiple modes. And then um, again, in another um, t action area that we've talked about with the planning department is um, coordinating on um, bicycle parking and, um, policies um, related to um, development. So we look at um, bicycle parking on the transportation side, but also when, um, when development happens. So the next one, um, so coordinating with various land uses. So making sure that our plans and projects are, um, that are um, based on our various land uses, so our sub-area plans, um, TOD such as the 85th station area, neighborhood plans um, that we're coordinating with the projects that are development, developed through those processes. Um, and then um, ensuring those elements um, support the safe system approach and we're using the best practice when we design our system and then um, and then coordinate, coordinating our various design guidelines um, with consistently consistency citywide and so one example of that that we've talked about recently is um, is lighting standards we have um, you know we have some sub area plans that have some unique lighting and that's okay um, but in areas that um, might not have um, specific lighting standards or kind of a unique to a certain um, center, for instance, um, we'll, we're kind of looking at that consistency with other projects. Um, the next one, creating a transportation network that supports economic development goals. And so the actions for us is to... Um, uh, make sure that we're improving our economic and living conditions um, so the industries and workers are attained. Um, one example is um, when the city uh, worked with uh, Evergreen Health um, Hospital on a, a kind of transportation improvements to support um, access both for employees and patients at the hospital. So it's kind of an example of that. And then also identifying opportunities to work with Shop Local Kirkland, the Cultural Arts Commission, and there are a lot of opportunities to add art with the transportation projects, get people excited about um, uh, the place that we live, um, and you know how can we use um, either signage or other ways to support our local businesses. Um, another one with um, related to Shop Local Kirkland is. Um, looking at places, for instance, where we might add 15-minute-only stalls for pickup. And so that's really this link between um, transportation and um, supporting our economic development goals. Um, require new developments to mitigate site-specific system-wide transportation impacts. Um, 
there's been progress on a lot of these. Um, these are actions that were carried over from the 2015 plan, um, but are still relevant for um, this particular policy. And then creating a system of streets and trails um, that form an interconnected network. And so this is looking at um, where there are opportunities to improve our transportation grid. Um, this could come in the form of um, easements through properties. Um, there you know, maybe alleyways. Um, and exploring land use policies that support the completion of missing gaps. And so um, many of you might be aware of our citywide transportation connections map um, that identifies additional roadway links and pedestrian and bicycle links, well, non-motorized links that um, um, would happen as development occurs. And so that's how we kind of increase the, um, the, our grid system and access. And then lastly, um, the multimodal plan-based concurrency method. And so um, multimodal concurrency, we, we, we address this in two different ways. One is from the transportation side. We look at um, how we're um, implementing our projects um, and our spending our budget as a whole um, to ensure that we are um, are making sure that we're building a system that addresses all of our modes. Um, but then at, the, at a more kind of immediate local, localized level, um, when development occurs, we look at um, transportation impacts when it comes to a new development, how many um, uh, new people, whether that would be people living or people working at a particular site, um, what, what, what are those traffic impacts, um, historically, um, a lot of those um, impacts, transportation impacts from development have been traditionally looked at through what's called level of service, which looks at vehicle type, um, uh, uh, how do we make sure that we have enough lanes or turn lanes or and we kind of look at the roadway capacity um, impacts. And so it is, it is a challenge because it requires a lot of data, but um, looking at ways that we can um, look at our system and identify other types of impacts, um, so whether that would be a potential wider sidewalk or a, a protected bike lane, in addition to the traffic impacts, um, maybe even um, there could even be kind of transit supportive um, Elements. So kind of looking at um, that full, all of the modes um, as development occurs, uh, and that is a work in progress. Um, and so, but that is a really important action. So with that, um, the summary of the link to land use policies and actions, and again, you do have them in front of you. Um, are, we, um, are we covering all of the kind of the elements and um, is there anything that you see that's missing? I'm just really interested in hearing from you all. Yeah, no, um, just going back to that last one, 9.7, Kim. Yeah, that one. So this to me, I, 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 I like the goal of it. I think that's a, that's a great aspiration to do this kind of multi, this concurrency kind of method, but A, it's something under development, is that, is that correct? You said it hasn't been, uh, 
Um, uh, we have been um, looking at improving ways to um, to we have been we have been looking at ways to improve how we are able to um, support looking at multiple modes and requirements for developers for multiple modes. Um, my understanding is that our um, engineering staff has kind of created some kind of templates. We are talking about um, uh, um, finding better ways to collect um, bicycle and pedestrian data um, so that we can support um, requirements for developers, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's a work in progress. So I just have a couple of feedback, a couple of points to feedback on. I think this sounds much more like an action than a policy, a proposed policy. I Nine think. point seven. Yeah, number seven is. Uh, you know, when you were describing it, you know, you were talking about how this would help under determine impacts, how this would help uh, keep us on this, on the track with the larger regional things. So I think I think it's an action of the other policies that you presented beforehand. And given that it's kind of in development still, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hesitant to, you know, um, adopt a policy that's still in the works, even or action that's in the works. And so, it's kind of feedback on those points. Just a real quick clarification: we we do use this system now. It's the improvements that are in development. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we do have a multimodal concurrency system in place today. Uh, that's good, but um, but I think my point still is, is that it's, I think it's much more of an action. Um, and I think kind of shows when you're tr when you're trying to put policy and then trying to put something under action. It's kind of like you, there wasn't much down there <laughs> to describe it. So it's much to me. It reflects more of an, an action uh, in response to the other policies. Any commissioners have any feedback? I actually have a quick question on this. Um, you know, we are talking so much about developers, what about the actual city of Kirkland? And uh, when we were doing the station area, we were found that we were fairly lacking, especially uh, considering like Washington High School is so close to the station and uh, we weren't getting the multimodal around the station area, uh, especially considering we're increasing density so much. and. Uh, just for safety factors, we weren't getting the bike lanes and, uh, you know, needs in both directions, not just a single direction. Um, so I actually think this is incredibly important, especially as we grow. So uh, I would kind of like the feedback of what not just we're requiring from developers, but what we are we requiring from the city as it grows. Um, Angela. Um, so another comment is, you know, the goal is to, you know, support and sustain a livable, walkable, connected, and transit-oriented city. And I feel like there's very little in here that talks about transit. Um, I realize that the city of Kirkland does not have control over metro or sound transit, but, um, you know, our... <coughs> Our uh, service has gotten significantly worse over the last decade. And, you know, while we are constrained by the fact that we're dealing with other uh, regional agencies, I think it needs, 
I would love to see the city of Kirkland figure out how can they better push to get bus service back to even what it was five years ago. I know that's like a really big ask, but it feels like it needs to be a more, you know, specific goal in here. I will offer, and you do have more information in the attachments for the another goal related specific to transit, but I do think you make a great point that um, linking the transit service back to our land use and growth does, seems like there's something in, in this related to the school, so um, thank you. Commissioner Sandeep. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I have a collection of comments. I'm going to, um, let me summarize a couple of themes. Uh, first of all, I think at a generic level, I don't disagree with anything that's said in these policies. But what I think they, when I think about the link to land use and what we've been trying to do, there's some thematic things that we've been trying to do with zoning to try to encourage a particular type of development pattern. And I'm not seeing some of those themes kind of emerging. So let, let me give some examples. We've spent a lot of time talking about 10-minute neighborhoods and neighborhoods that connect residential to local businesses and local uh, neighborhood centers. And so when I look at policy 9.2 or policy number two, very much focused on the walkability, almost, it almost implies, maybe it's a wording thing, within the neighborhood, rather than really thinking about the connectivity between neighborhoods and local shopping and local economic activity. And I think we're being very explicit as we think about land use to really try to build that connection more explicitly. Um, so I'd love to see that reflected a little bit more closely. More broadly, We've been looking very, looking very hard at how do we create certain patterns, right? We've invested a lot of work in the Totem Lake Loop um, and sort of how do we design land use so that there's actually a circulator type of environment within Totem Lake. How do we do street design or, or, or zoning to kind of encourage a neighborhood feel throughout Totem Lake? Um, the station area plan, is, as was mentioned earlier, and then the third is kind of connectivity between different commercial zones, right? So how do we get people who are in one commercial zone to another commercial zone, especially given sort of that full-scale full transit across the city is difficult So at this point. So I'd love to see more thematic either sub-bullets or bullets that really talk about some of these larger themes. And then I, I guess the last thing I'll say is we're, when we think about multimodal, we, we're, we're still falling into the traditional walk, bike, ped, or walk, bike, bus, and car. I don't see a lot of really explicit thinking about additional alternatives that exist or might exist in the future and how our policies kind of accommodate that. So obviously rideshare is here today, um, privately funded uh, shuttle networks similar to what Bellevue is doing with Circuit. Um, how do we 
you know, self-autonomous vehicles. Like, how do we really want to think about the transportation system and land use together in a world where the transportation options potentially may be growing in diversity rather than shrinking? I might have um, one kind of follow-up as well. I know reading through the actions, they're very broad. I feel they're maybe less specific than other portions of the plan that we've been going through and we've spent more time on with the, the Transportation Commission. Um, one thing that I was kind of considering is when we talk about making things more comfortable for walkability specifically, the city standard minimum sidewalk width is five feet. And that's kind of the absolute minimum that two wheelchairs can pass going opposite directions. Um, you know, it's similar for if any, you know, two people are pushing strollers. And when we look at redevelopment or new projects that go in, <clears throat> that five-foot minimum width often is kind of the, the fallback that gets implemented all over the place. And um, Kim, I know you talked about how there might be considerations for, you know, increasing that. Does the plan that you know, we're putting together here, change our approach from what it's been previously? Certainly. Yes. Um, uh, we have talked about um, taking a look at both uh, the sidewalk minimum in general, and then maybe even specific to um, certain land uses. Um, and we can certainly um, make sure that's represented um, or some action towards that as represented in the in the policies and actions likely in action okay yeah I, I kind of one of the the challenges I had looking through this is if anyone from the public would pick this up after the plan is published and would try to understand what does this mean what changes for me they might not understand it um, and so having some real good kind of meat that they can grab onto and grasp what changes um, will be really helpful, I think, when, when this is finalized. Great. Yeah, Patrick? Pardon me, we have a planning commissioner that has her hand up. Over Zoom, Katya Allen. Oh, Katya, I apologize. It's The screen is so small. Um, That's okay, Chair. I totally understand. <laughs> um, thank you. I wanted to... Um, I wanted to ask to flip the slide just back to 9.6. There we go. Um, uh, there we go. Thank you. Um, I just think we're missing a little bit of a word there in talking about creating the systems of streets and trails. Something I know that the city is missing is a, um, a seamless or, or a complete <laughs> set of streets and trails. Um, streets generally connect, but um, as a rider, uh, bike rider in the city, and um, and a frequent user of sidewalks as well, um, we all know that there are places where those are missing, and I think those create real barriers to people wanting to opt for those options. It's difficult when going, for example, down Central when you're on a bike lane, and all of a sudden it just disappears <laughs> and then you're in traffic and that's not a surprise just to you as a rider but that's a surprise to the uh to the drivers as well so i think like perhaps adding the word um seamless or complete um would be an, a similar word uh, would just be a great addition to really show um the intention i think um if i'm correct in that being a um, intention both for um 
the safety. Um, well, primarily for safety, I guess. Um, I like the um, a couple of the other comments we're talking about really connecting the um, looking at the interconnections. Again, we have an interconnection work here um, between the different neighborhoods. Um, and I know we have some challenges with that, especially um, as we have a major you know, interstate running down the middle of our city. And I hope that, and, and maybe this goes into more specifics, but looking at um, the improvements that can be made crossing 405 um, for non-cars. If we're look, if we're looking at an aquatic center off 70th, you know, that's not a very great area to be walking or um, biking across 405 at that point. Even the pedestrian bridges that we have are, um, they're, not super suitable for bikes. They're a little dangerous uh, during parts of the year. And if you don't have an e-bike would be nearly impossible um, to, to climb up. Um, so I hope that as we look at that interconnected, um, we keep into consideration some of the uh, unique challenges that we have in our city. Um, I do appreciate overall a, um, that, that is brought up in multiple places Um about making walking a lot easier. I'm currently in Spain and we walk everywhere. Everybody walks everywhere. My dad is here too. My dad's 76 and he's been putting in a lot of miles. One thing I've noticed with him, um, and when we're thinking about sidewalks, I generally think also about kind of like width or cutouts or the fact there's a sidewalk or not. Um, one of the things they have here that he's taken advantage of are benches. <laughs> and we have a lot of benches downtown if you walk along the promenade. Uh, like Washington Promenade, you'll find plenty of benches. But when we're really looking at, at building interconnectivity, um, I could see, you know, the opportunity for maybe it's more, maybe it's working with uh, Sound Transit or Metro and providing more benches at their bus stops, um, but they could also be used by pedestrians. Um, overall, I think it's a nice body um, of work. Thank you. Ops to Katia for joining from the middle of the night in Spain, it sounds like. So. <laughs> um, Tracy, you haven't gone yet. Um, yes, this is Tracy Trexel. Um, I'd like to add to Commissioner Allen's comments about 9.6. Um, it explicitly states pedestrian and bicycle, but the Transportation Commission has been exploring uh, expanding those definitions to micromobility. So we had a person public come and visit to ask about a unicycle and support for other types of individual transportation. So in looking forward, it might be helpful to add that type of terminology into these descriptions. Uh, Commissioner Tim Chisholm. I don't know where the exact proper place to add this is, but I've been becoming kind of increasingly concerned at Sound Transit's failure to adequately service neighborhoods like Finn Hill and Kingsgate and neighborhoods that were formerly unincorporated King County. And I'm not sure how to address that in this plan, but I think we need to make some sort of statement that our neighborhoods need to be connected. Uh, Finn Hill used to have four bus lines. Now it has one. And maybe the answer is a city of Kirkland shuttle, or maybe it's applying pressure on sound transit. But we're losing um, losing transit access to 
the neighborhoods that were um, specifically I would focus on the neighborhoods that were annexed into Kirkland in 2011 in the 2011 annexations. Thank you. Great. Uh, Commissioner Heiser. Thank you. Um, I think this falls under uh, 9.2, improve walkable and I'm going to say bike bikeable. This <laughs> the other word in there is <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a word. Uh, neighborhoods. Um, so just in terms of the sheer volume of, and I'm going to talk about low density and the sidewalk improvements that are required in front of low density um, and mid density um, because that's my wheelhouse. I'm a builder along with my husband. Um, we do the street improvements um, just through the sheer number that we will be doing in the next 20 years. Um, just to get the concrete, is it's a $25,000 investment. That's just the concrete. Um, so we're talking about walkable neighborhoods. We're going to require all builders to put in you know, that much just of, just of concrete in front of um, each new development, new house. So that adds a lot of cost. But the full amount of money that we're talking to put one of those sidewalks in with the um, street improvements can be anywhere from $50,000 to $150,000. Um, as we're going along, I'm wondering if it might be um, a good time to talk about the requirements in code um, that are a bit clunky with this whole process because it's we are required to do two separate pours for the curb and a separate one for the sidewalk per code. So that means we have multiple service trips, surveyor trips, we have multiple um, excavator chips and concrete and asphalt. So it all just adds up to the cost of housing. Um, and if this were just, you know, a couple of houses, I'd say, you know, maybe we don't look into it. But if it's over 20 years and every new construction, low density and um, medium density project, I think it might be interesting to look into how do we um, streamline that process. And that obviously is a public works and um, planning department item. Seems like a good intersection. Angela might be able to talk more about the, um, you know, big commercial developments, but yeah. Uh, back more on the uh, side of things of talking about the bus routes uh, and both getting better bus routes back, uh, getting higher ridership again. I think while there, there is some amount of influence uh, that we can have on sound transit in terms of just trying to get them to work with us on those, I think a bigger issue in terms of fixing that transit is actually the zoning and what sorts of housing and the amount of housing on those bus routes and that it's not as much in the uh, scope of what the Transportation Commission works on, but I think one of the biggest issues in terms of this link to land use and working on any uh, bus and transit-related improvements is going to be housing and zoning along all of those bus routes. Yeah, so just just heading back in terms of this, I know this is a subsection, right? We're talking about the the the, the part of the plan that's relating to land use. 
because uh, I think we talk about transit in other parts of our transportation plan and so forth. I think it's great. I think we, we're all on the same page <laughs> on, that, on that front. Um, but just getting back to it, I think one of the things we, we've done in this, in this cycle of updating our, our transportation plan is really referencing other plans or sub-plans. And it'd be great to hear from the, from the planning commission to, to hear what kind of, because I'm not as, as, as familiar with your do, y'all's documents there. But you know, are there things that we can reference that you guys are working on? You know, Sandeep talks about themes. Perhaps I think that will be some of the feedback we'd like to hear. It's like, okay, maybe we should reference where, where those themes may be referenced and then incorporate in here. Because I think that's the strength is, is having for this meeting is really to have you guys here to, to get the feedback on specific zoning or land use sort of initiatives or themes you guys have going on um, for that feedback for the Section 9 here. So I'm just kind of putting that back out there. I know Rodney has had his hand up for a little bit. Here, here and there. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, a lot of, you know, when I looked at these uh, proposed policies, I mean, I agree with pretty much, you know, all, all, the, all the concepts that are on here. Um, in general, like throughout our comprehensive planning process, I'd, I'd love to see, figure out, think about how are we going to measure progress towards these policies? Um, I, that's one of the, the key things, you know, when I, when I think about goals, I think about, um, you know, we have the inputs, you know, the, the time and the money that goes into it, we have the activities, we have, you know, some of these proposed actions here, we have the outputs, you know, the, the, the lanes, the sidewalks, the crosswalks, those are you know, the, the outputs, but then ultimately what we're really searching for here are the outcomes and the impacts. And, uh, you know, the outcomes being uh, healthier people and easier to, you know, meet your daily needs without needing to, to drive everywhere. Uh, impacts being sustainability on multiple dimensions, uh, including economic, uh, uh, social, and uh, environmental, of course. Um, and so when we talk about goals and policies that support those goals, I'm really... I would like to see more leaning towards defining those incomes, or sorry, those those outcomes and impacts that we are aiming towards, and then with that, that defines the the, the purpose and allows us to grant the autonomy to the staff to figure out what are the best actions to take to achieve those outcomes and those uh, and hopefully uh, realize the the uh, intended impacts. Um, I realize this is like stepping back a bit from you know, like the, the details that are that are listed here, but I think um, if we could more clearly articulate um, how are we going to measure progress towards these ideas, uh, that would really I think help the staff think through how do you prioritize projects and do it maybe in a more dynamic way rather than set a static list that lasts for ten years. Now maybe this is something that's required by the state and. Uh, and there's no way around it, but you know this is, you know, with my naivety uh, <laughs> and and hope, um, I I would love to find a way that's a bit more flexible and adaptive to uh, uh, to the the evolving, emerging needs of our community. Thanks. Tracy, um, I agree with and like what Rodney is saying about measurable objectives. 
Um, I come from a data background, and so I like that. And one of the things that I'm not sure is fully reflected here is in our Kirkland transportation plan, we've actually addressed a lot of details around things like that. Um, but I also think it makes very great sense if we define what are we trying to achieve, then leave it the flexibility you know, for our city planners and engineers to make the determination as how to best implement that. So I think that's a great suggestion. Okay, do we have any more comments from uh, either side of the commissions? And how about online? Okay, great. I think we can move on. Great. Thank you. Really great feedback. Okay. On to project list. What a great segue. <laughs> um, so we, we do have the required, um, it is a 20-year plan, um, so the project list will um, uh, be developed for the 20-year capital facilities plan um, that then informs the six-year transportation improvement plan and then the, the two-year budget. Um, we have been having a lot of conversations about flexibility, um, and the plans do get updated, too. That's kind of something to keep in mind, um, but we will be kind of talking about that 20-year that list. <laughs> So um, in terms of developing that list, um, how I want to talk a little bit about how our projects have been identified so far. Um, so we're, we're using this opportunity to pull together um, what we've learned from our planning activities. So our active transportation plan, our safe routes to school plan, we have a transit implementation plan, the station area plan has identified quite a lot of transportation projects. Um, we're scrubbing through the neighborhood plans to make sure that those projects are included. Um, and then in addition, um, we have our adopted uh, six-year transportation improvement program. Um, some of those unfunded projects have been around for a while. They might not have come from one of these kind of formal studies. Um, and then we have quite a few other um, studies um, that we've done in addition to kind of these larger planning activities. Um, in addition, we are regularly um, looking at our crash data. Um, every two years, we do a local road safety plan based on that um, that does identify um, projects. And then um, we are listening to the public, um, uh, taking a look at the suggested projects. Um, those projects do go through uh, an engineering review. Um, we take a look to see if they've already been identified um, by another planning process. Um, and then if not, is it something that we would, um, our engineers would think is, a, is something that we would support? And then, um, and then we would look at also projects that support that um, future and growth capacity. So we're, um, that's where that, that transportation modeling comes in and really looking at um, the development patterns. Um, we have talked about, for instance, um, um, on, the, on the planning side, been a little bit more out of the loop on this one, but the, um, you know, where, how, do, how are transit routes supported and um, with the land use element. And then, um, and so this kind of cyclical look um, at um, through our the analysis and the modeling um, to make sure that we're really um, uh, making sure that the projects and in, um, in our 
and our plan um, supports that future growth. So once we have our universe of projects, um, as you can imagine, there that's a lot. Um, we are kind of grouping um, some of the projects into programs. Um, for instance, the, our sidewalk gaps, the active transportation plan um, that was just adopted in um, 2022 um, was um, identified the sidewalk gaps, um, all of the sidewalk gaps in the city um, minus um, some of the gaps that are in like cul-de-sacs or um, kind of dead-end streets, but pretty much every other sidewalk gap in the entire city was evaluated and prioritized. And so the idea there is that the, um, the sidewalk gaps would go into a program. Um, we already have them prioritized, so we know which ones are kind of um, like high priority. So that's one example of, kind of um, programs that we're looking at. Um, then there are... Um, projects that are identified with a clear location, a, a title, the, it's on the street from here to here. Um, that we're um, breaking them down by category. And then, um, um, and then um, for that kind of itemized project list, um, and even, the, even most of the programmatic projects will still be kind of in a list somewhere, um, so we can use that as a tool for ourselves. Um, but this kind of the itemized project list, um, we have talked about how some projects we um, would not prioritize, and so those are ones that we already have money for, um, or that they might be developer-driven. The city's not going to create a capital project for something that where we'd have to tear down a building, for instance. Um, but we do want to identify those. Um, there are a lot of those in the citywide um, transportation connections map, for instance, that we want to still make sure that are part of this universe of projects. Um, but um, there, there will be some that will be prioritized and um, make it into that 20-year future project list. Um, then we are looking at how to prioritize um, those projects that um, are subject to that prioritization process. And so this helps us um, best implement our goals. Um, we, it'll help us identify which projects that should come first. Um, how do we make use of our limited resources? And then also as a tool for decision makers in terms of budgeting. Um, making decisions about uh, grant applications, that type of thing. We want to make sure, even when we apply for grant money, um, we're going after projects that implement our goals, for instance. So when we look at prioritization, um, we still want to make sure that we're using data that's available, that it's, we can replicate the process, they're, that they're linked to the goals in the plan, and that it's easy to understand, so we can have a transparent process. So that's, that's the goal, that's what we're gonna talk about today. And so the end result is that we'll have that, like I said, that universe of projects, um, and then we will be uh, prioritizing and looking at that um, 20 year list. We will have to develop some kind of high level cost estimates for those. Um, these projects, especially projects that are um, kind of more, um, not all projects are gonna have a, a lot of detail, um, and so we're gonna have to do our best and predict um, the cost estimates. Um, and then we will, the result is our fiscally constrained project list, um, which we'll have to balance with projected funding revenues. 
And then the remaining projects, um, they'll either live in a, like I said, I mentioned a program, and those programs will also need some recommended um, funding for those um, so we can keep our programs going, such as maintenance. Um, we also want to make sure that as we grow our assets in our city, that our maintenance budget grows kind of accordingly um, so that we can keep up with preserving and maintaining what we have. Um, and then and we will have um, unfunded projects. And um, as I mentioned, that's a, that's a tool for us. Um, some of those will um, may be implemented as development occurs or if there's, um, or if conditions change, maybe there's a new, new voter approved something or other. So um, regarding the link to land use, prioritization measures. Um, I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you. I do have in the handout, um, I did include all of the prioritization measures, but I do kind of, I want to point you to the map. Um, I imagine um, many of you have seen this before in terms of the commercial and mixed use. So the proposal here is that, um, that we would prioritize projects that connect to or support support being within or make improvements to um, or within a, the, our, our urban growth centers, that would be the highest. Um, the next one would be kind of other commercial centers and then kind of a lower would be neighborhood centers. Um, however, when I look at the map, um, there's, you know, we have neighborhood centers. We also have kind of like corridor mixed use. And so one of my questions for you all is kind of, you know, um, from this map, um, A, do you, you know, kind of agree with that um, kind of way of thinking about how we would prioritize um, projects in terms of its connection to land use? One of the policies we talked about, um, prioritizing projects where there's higher um, density for a residential and um, and um, jobs and so using our commercial centers and our zoning seems to make sense um, I do kind of would really like to hear from you about kind of the you know maybe where light industrial might fit in um, or kind of some of these categories of, of commercial centers um, and then lastly um, the it um, seem to be appropriate to add additional um, points to projects that access parks and schools. I know school isn't necessarily a, a land use that you know Kirkland controls, but it's still you know land use and um, in parks as well. And so um, I'm going to stop there and really looking to forward to hearing what you have to say might have just one piece of clarification before we get too far into this. Um, just for the connects to and supports description, mm -hmm. what does support mean? Is it within the boundary? Is it nearby? Um, how does that factor in? Because there could be cases of like a nearby gap in the system being filled. Does that score well? I, um, that's a great question. Um, my thinking, and we can change the phrasing, is that um, the, the example that you gave, it's a gap that connects to, that would be connects to 
um, support might be um, uh, some, I imagine, I think of that as something within the center. So um, completing a network within the center, um, maybe widening a sidewalk, um, yeah. So within and connects to maybe is the phrasing. All right, thanks, Kim. So as, as I'm looking at like how can we measure the, the impact of a proposed improvement more, more effectively, um, I, I would naturally lean towards like is there a way that we could build a query in GIS that would like help inform us of like if we improve this connection, it would actually uh, reduce the walk or bike uh, proximity or uh, improve the level of safety to the degree that uh, it would uh, connect you know this population center to this amenity center uh, and, and allow that to flow uh, more uh, more effectively um, it, I mean I, I, on one level I I like the the spirit of this but I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, nuance that gets lost in the, the detail of you know the, the broad diversity of you know the, the entirety of the city, and if we were able to uh, use technology to more effectively uh, measure, um, and, and hopefully in a way that that is uh, more resilient to subjective judgment and uh, more reflective of um, uh, you know, the, the you know either what is currently there today or what we have zoned to be possible in, in the future to support, support um, uh, future anticipated growth. Again, I, I don't know if that's, you know, how, what the feasibility of that is. That's my dream. So mm -hmm. you gotta at least share that. Patrick? Um, yeah, yeah, I understand we're, we're focusing on the land use component, but could we take a step back? Because this is the first time as commission we haven't seen the rest of it, and we got this nice cool handout that shows the rest of it. Um, so a couple points on, along those lines. Are we going to have a separate discussion on the rest of the of this scoring thing or, or even the, the concept of this scoring thing? Um, yes. Today, um, we because we have this opportunity yeah. um, with this, um, the, both of uh, these bodies together, and we wanted to focus on the specific to land use. Um, and just to kind of remind everybody, um, the Transportation Commission is really the kind of commission that will be that will be going through more of the detail with us and so we will uh, likely bring back this along with our because we'll have to bring back the projects and um you know, the scoring um back to the commission uh to, back to the transportation commission um and then so the idea today is that we um, talk about this link to land use um, and if there's time we can talk about um the Kind of the all the measures in general, um, although I'm still happy to hear um, maybe perhaps as a um, an offer if there's kind of like high level thoughts about the the concept of kind of how we framed things and um, and then if there's specific you know a little bit more specific to other goals maybe we can get them as to if we when we have more time or if we have more time today. Yeah, so I'll just stick it to more of what we're what you guys have on the slide here, um, but just a couple of comments in terms of I'm going back to how do we tie this back to 
you know, whatever the planning commission has in terms of planning or studies that they have. Like, uh, instead of just saying urban growth centers, are there any specific things that, you know, there's a planning document that this or, you know, this 10-minute 10, 10 walkable thing, does it, does it, you know, something more specific than just the generalized urban growth center, unless, unless that's a, a, a definition of somewhere on that front. And then um, just a preview for our, our, our discussion for the, great, uh, for the larger scoring method. But, you know, these are all points given. Are there any points taken back? I mean, is there like a negative? Like, this, this is horrible. This like undoes a lot of the land use stuff. I mean, I see the scoring out of 300, but is, is there anything that says, you know what, this is actually detrimental, you know, kind of, kind of approach, rather than just you know, upping the score for everything else, you know, like great inflation. Is there, is there a land use thing that's just like, this is horrible. It's like negative five, you know, or something like that. Not in the current proposal, but I can't say it hasn't crossed my mind. <laughs> I, I, I think I think in reality those projects wouldn't make our universe a project uh, in the first place. To be honest, yeah, because yeah, you know, because I'm you know, you know me, I'm, I'm more a maintenance guy. I love maintenance, and you know, one of the things I'm seeing on the, on the larger picture is that there's some great projects out there, but man, they're going to be a pain. Of, you know, this can be very unsustainable in front of maintenance side for the city. So I just kind of. Make sure it's a little more holistic in that, in that sense that, you know, there are some things that are really cool, but, you know, the reality is that, you know, there can be a burden on, on that front. So just kind of challenging staff to think through that. One thing that we might um, consider with some projects are um, maybe, maybe it happens outside of the prioritization pieces, um, could be cost. Um, and maybe if there's a, a lot of right-of-way that's required for a particular project, um, we might have to kind of take a look at some of those. Or, or maybe like complexity in terms of getting a, the, the, the permit to build it or something like that, you know? <laughs> or the, the, the environmental impacts, you know, time frame or development time frame. Yeah, um, and just a quick note for the co-chairs, there are um, hands up on the Zoom. Um, but uh, just to answer... Um, I, th I do think um, cost is maybe a tricky, a tricky one because uh, it's not exactly a criteria that you can say a high cost is a sometimes a good thing or a bad. Thing. I, you know, it might change how you look at bigger projects versus smaller projects. So that is something I would caution against um, using cost as a criteria because I don't think that I think you can get into a um, more complicated discussion about what is quote unquote better cost. Okay, uh, I think we're going to go to our two online uh, commissioners. And Katja, um, why don't you go first? Thank you, Chair. Um, I guess my comment would be that while I understand higher points being given to these higher dense areas, it, it does make me wonder if projects in the neighborhood centers just aren't ever going to rank high enough to get these um, connections or amenities um, for their neighborhoods. And I think it is obviously important to continue to support them. So if they're already, you know, look at this, <laughs> the difference between being, being in the urban growth center area and the um, neighborhood centers, I just don't know how those projects are gonna be able to compete, um, but it doesn't really seem fair. Again, it doesn't seem fair to kind of leave them out um, which I would be afraid would happen with this type of point system. But correct me if I'm wrong. 
No, that's a good point. And one, one thing I wanted to mention about the scoring is that the, the highest possible score that a project can get is 300. So there are um, other ways that projects can score highly um, in other categories. So it, while it might be, say, a 10 for the link to land use category because it serves a neighborhood center, um, it might score really high in safety and it might score really high in active transportation. So that, that is part of this larger um, kind of interconnected framework. Um, so I uh, just wanted to note that. And one of the reasons why we have um, the scoring the way it is is because when you prioritize projects, you want to have a spread so that the breaks are really clear in terms of high and medium and low priorities. If you have just, say, 20 points as the highest possible score, it's really hard to tell where, where the break is. Um, so this helps us uh, further prioritize. Kaylin? Hi, thank you. Um, I had a question around the reasoning behind choosing the quarter mile distance for providing connection to active transport to, to parks and schools for talking about 10 minute neighborhoods and 10 minute walkability. Um, in general, you know, I, I would say a, a vast majority of folks could um, access that within a half mile. So just curious um, why a quarter mile was chosen and um, just to consider um, exploring um, a little bit more of a, uh, a half mile distance. I can speak to that. Um, the The reason for the quarter mile is once we start buffering all of our parks and schools to a half mile, we start to cover the whole city. And then the point system becomes kind of irrelevant. Um, we had this challenge with the active transportation plan as well um, with access to transit. It's, um, yeah. Is it also an as the crow flies issue as well that you might be within a quarter mile of a radius of um, a school, for instance, but it might take you more than a quarter mile to actually walk that route. Is that right? That's a great comment. Um, and yeah, it would be generally the way the crow flies, although we could use um, kind of more of a, a directed connected network in the, um, for instance, in the active transportation plan, um, we do have a resource we could use at least for pedestrian projects um, that uh, they took a look at how um, how far you could um, get to a, like a particular location such as a center or um, using existing um, criteria such as safe crossings and sidewalks. So maybe that's uh, something we could look at. Thank you. Okay, Angela. So I just want to build a little bit on Commissioner Allen's comments. Um, not specifically about, you know, neighborhoods versus urban centers, but how do we make sure that we have like an equitable spread across the city? So, you know, we're talking about how some neighborhoods may have higher points because of like safety issues and whatnot. But what happens if Kingsgate, for example, never scores high enough? Uh, is there like a trigger that we're saying that all of our neighborhoods in the city deserves some level of investment and, you know, what happens if there's one or two that otherwise would get left out? That's a great, um, great question. Geographic equity comes up uh, in this conversation every time. And um, the, uh, the way that I would approach that answer is um, we're working in a constrained environment. Kim mentioned the financial and fiscal constraints that we have. We have only so much money to go around and very, huge amount of need in the system. And so, um, so 
in looking at kind of starting there, there's going to be competing objectives and hard decisions for the city council to make. And so I think that um, where where this comes in, the, the good thing about when I look at the map of the centers in Kirkland, it is actually relatively um, dispersed throughout the city. And I do think that there is um, some kind of natural uh, equity, geographically speaking, in, in that regard. Um, in other cities I've worked in, it's been very much like localizing one spot. And so, so that, that question becomes a, a harder nut to crack. Um, but, but I think that is something that city council will need to look at when they make the final decision on this. There are obviously political considerations and, and other considerations for prioritizing projects, but this uh, framework gives them a really solid and objective starting point to make those hard decisions because those will be hard decisions and there's really no silver bullet there. Um, I don't know if, Want to add anything That's a great answer. Okay. <laughs> okay, can I just piggyback on that? Um, one of the reasons why um, I think this has come up. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons is right now we are just starting to work on both the Kingsgate and Winita neighborhood plans for the comp plan. Is there a way to give credit to, uh, because we are looking at ways of, you know, upscaling, you know, granting uh, greater height, uh, greater density, just to bolster the neighborhood centers because uh, some of them are doing great. Some of them are, you know, haven't been updated in, you know, 20, 30 years. And are, they're not failing, but they're not uh, serving the needs of the neighborhoods as well as they could. Uh, it just seems like the city could give credit to uh, these areas that we have given greater uh, zoning to, to, you know, upscale, uh, you know, and help those community centers. Because I, I do look at this, but yes, we are so centered on 85th. And um, then you look at Fen Hill and Kingsgate and you know, we need it, and they're a little bit underserved. So I wonder, based on that feedback, whether or not under the link to land use, there's some amount of points that are given to the fact that plans have really changed, changed. to address, um, I mean, let's face it, right? Thin Hill, Juanita, those were designed to be auto-centric neighborhoods, period. Now we're trying to address that and say, well, it's time to you know look at some changes there. So you're saying if you do that in the way of these plans, maybe you can get some points for that. Is that kind of... Okay. I, I think that there should be some, some way to help and serve because I think it's out of necessity in the sense that, yes, they were designed and they were in unincorporated King County at the time. Um, and it was, car transportation was easy and inexpensive. Now those neighborhoods are serving, if you look at our, when we get a, a map like this, it has the income disparities and uh, these neighborhoods are some of our lower neighbor income neighborhoods in, in Kirkland. 
they rely on transportation, um, public transportation more than some of the neighborhoods that are getting the credits in along the core. Yeah. So that's where we're looking at as planning commissioners, how can we serve these areas? So when we see a map where they're getting lower points, we want to try to serve them. Yeah. Is that something we could look at? In terms of the, um, the income, um, we do have an equity measure that would use the proposal here is to use the, an equity tool that was recently created for our capital improvement program um, that does look at income and population um, in those places um, that would address that would address kind of the, the income piece. Um, and um, in your packet, there is a, um, there's a little table that kind of shows how that tool works. It's a, kind of pulled the metadata from that. Um, but then um, the zoning for well, the zoning, zoning is a little different. At, uh, I mean, along with transportation, uh, retaining grocery stores, uh, trying to, and transportation is a huge part of that, is how is it interconnected? How do these neighbors, unless if they're not within walking distance, how do they get their groceries to and from their houses? And yes, you have these giant blocks over here where there's just one neighborhood center. So yes, the transportation is hugely important to those communities. And if they're rated really low, it is along what Angela said. Uh, are they being left out? Okay, we have a lot of hands now. Let's take somebody from the Transportation Commission. AJ, you haven't gone. Uh, I mean, uh, just a quick note of wanting to especially second the idea of making sure that we look at income inequality in terms of prioritiz prioritization. Okay, um, Commissioner Sangal. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, yeah, I was going to raise the same issue around economic uh, economic equality, but I think it's been covered. I think the the larger thing that I'm struggling with with this point system, if I think about the urban, let me start with the urban centers. I mean, the urban center boundaries don't really map to how we've been approaching land use. Um, the urban center boundaries, uh, you know, I understand how we got there. But if I think about, like, the downtown urban center, when we think about land use, we've been thinking about that, we've been thinking about that plus the station area, so the whole 85th Street corridor, which would fall outside of, a big chunk of that falls outside of the urban growth center. And so I would really think about taking a little bit more of a holistic view of what the urban centers are to kind of reflect the planning uh, kind of context around this, not just the, the urban boundary. And I, I get that the, so it's kind of an urban center plus other planning regions that go better adjacent that we care about keeping connected, right? So we care about the entire 85th Street station area plan, not just the portion that's within the urban center. I think a second thing, this is highlighted, I'm going to make a very specific suggestion. I, as I mentioned earlier, we've been 
very worried about thinking about neighborhood retail na and healthy neighborhood centers. That's been very core to a lot of the work we've done over the last several years. I almost wonder whether we should explicitly treat neighborhood centers as higher priority than commercial centers um, in this ranking, right? I don't, I'm not a fan of the urban cores just getting all the points, but I understand why we'd, we, we might want to do that. I think that we, we demonstrate the value of neighborhood centers by actually scoring neighborhood centers higher. Um, the, the third thing, one thing that's not captured here, and I'm not sure if it's captured in another criteria, one of the things that we have constantly struggled with is parking requirements and how to think about driving housing affordability by reducing parking requirements uh, in, uh, in multifamily buildings. Ultimately, our struggle is that if we don't have a good transportation network or transportation options, we can't drive down parking requirements. And so I would actually explicitly think about how do we prioritize projects that enable us to drive down parking requirements, because that actually drives housing affordability. Thank you. Um, echoing uh, Commissioner Singal, I was wondering the same thing about how is it that we determined that commercial centers were a higher priority than neighborhood centers? What criteria was used to create that prioritization? Because yeah. I agree that I think maybe neighborhoods should have heavier weight. Yeah, it's a very good um, point. And uh, when we when we looked at this, um, just generally speaking, it's about densities, it's about the amount of traffic that's generated, it's about um, those types of uh, kind of scale, I think. And so investing in improving transportation um, to and from those centers, um, it's kind of a numbers game, I think you could view it as. Um, but I do like the suggestion about um, elevating neighborhood centers. I think we can, we can take a look at that um, given some of the background that was provided about investing in those in those centers. I'll, I'll just, if I may interject, I just just to, I think we, what we're suggesting is move away from the numbers game, really play a values game about what is valuable, what we value as a community. Right, and looking at the map, if you look at the commercial centers, the commercial centers evolved over time, not with a master plan, and so there's still large areas that aren't being considered because the commercial is there because of time. Yeah. yeah, these are very good points. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Bria. Uh, yeah, I just want to voice support for Commissioner Vu's um, idea that we have some sort of budget or cost um, item when we're using the point system. Um, because as this has been referred to, this is a fiscally constrained, right? Um, so I think budget or cost of um, a project does really come into play. Maybe it goes, you know, after equity and inclusion. 
Um, but there's definitely a place for that because there is a budget um, that we do have to abide by at, at the end of the day. Um, is there, I guess the question is, is it too hard? I, the reason why we're not including budget is because too many decisions would be made on, made on budget, or is it just too hard to get the numbers or the bids for these types of projects that are accurate? I think it's multiple things. So um, I've, I've always viewed cost as not a criteria for project evaluation because um, you would, if you, if you chose, say, high-cost projects as being maybe scoring higher, you'd lose out on all the smaller win type of projects, right? But then, and then vice versa, if you prioritized low cost, you would potentially not be able to do a corridor project, um, for instance. Um, but uh, in, let me back up and uh, kind of explain the fiscally constrained terminology we're using. So um, at the most basic, we're going to be looking historically on our expenditures annually for cap transportation capital, and we'll be looking forward into the future for revenues that we can expect, and we'll be um, essentially, <clears throat> in a broad sense, taking those assumptions and, and spreading them out over 20 years, and then we're going we're gonna to build our, our universe off of that. So when we prioritize the projects, we'll, just, we'll be able to go down the list until we can't fund any projects after that. And so the way that we get the going to the project cost side of this is um, right now we're in a planning level situation. So um, at this point in time, uh, most, most of our projects, some of them are um, kind of further along in, in the process, but um, when we're at the planning level, we don't know enough about a project to get a really firm estimate on cost. So for instance, um, before a project is in 30% design, uh, we're not gonna know right-of-way costs. So a corridor project almost always has right-of-way acquisition. Um, and so there's no way of knowing that at this point in time. So we're looking at planning level cost estimates and there's a whole like field of cost estimating and um, there's a lot of uh, kind of structure around it and WashDOT has guidance for all of this. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as a project matures, we know more about uh, elements of it and are able to give a better cost estimate and hammer down some of the details. And so um, it would be hard so the cost estimating we're going to do for this is going to be planning level, and it's going to have um, probably a range applied to it in terms of what we could expect around you know uh, the details that we have today. Okay, so um, there is a, there is going to be some costs. There'll be a range. Yes, yeah. It'll be a range based on <laughs> historical values, and then you add something for inflation. But there will be a range because there. I mean, you you can come up with a number for a project. It's it's not. You know, it's not inconceivable, mm -hmm. and especially if we're doing the same type of projects again and again. So, so there is a budget concept that, or there's a budget component that we, that is, um, you know, determinable at this point. Okay, so you'll have a range in there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For the projects, the, I think the point I was making earlier is um, not using cost as a criteria to evaluate where those projects fall in the list of priorities. I think it's more about. Uh, making a list that has planning level costs applied to them so that we can understand how much we can fund. I, if I may jump in. Um, what, I, what I sense this, the, the score here is intended to assess is the intended benefit. And you know, once you have that sorted list of the, the highest benefit items, you can, you can dig closer and more into the cost. Um, and then ultimately you're, what you're looking at is a benefit, benefit per cost. And you end up 
once you get to the point of looking at the potential higher, highest impact ones, you then, you then evaluate the cost. But I'm then a little puzzled of like, why isn't the cost of maintenance included at all in the, in the benefit score rather than uh, calculating costs in terms of the net present uh, liability or you know, cost of that investment? You know, taking into into consideration the expected lifetime of the investment, the maintenance, the ongoing maintenance costs, um, and uh, is that? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I follow. Um, uh, what I think I would respond with is that we're. If you wouldn't mind bringing the triangle. Oh yeah. So um, in building a twenty-year list, this is this is really visionary. And, um, and again, kind of at that planning more conceptual level, as we work towards, so, so you could view it as this inverted triangle. You could also, you could also view it as a, um, as a timeline, like a linear bar, where we have a 20-year bar, and then we have a six-year portion of that, and then a two-year portion. And so that kind of slides across the 20 years. And so we are looking at like life cycle of projects in the sense of, you know, we're going to build these projects and they're, they're going to be in place for, 50 plus years, most likely in, in a lot of cases. And, um, and so I think that's embedded in what we talk about when we develop a scope for a project. Um, I don't know if it would be something that we would evaluate for the priority of the project. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what, kind of what I was thinking is like, it looks like the, the score we're looking at is primarily to evaluate the benefit. Correct. And then you'll look at, you'll consider the costs later before you get, to, you know, into like the, the budget and, and potential execution. Yeah, a lot's gonna happen between the top of that triangle and the bottom of that triangle. Yeah, so yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, and hopefully including the, the maintenance cost and the eventual replacement yeah. cost at the end of the life of the project. And, and, and it's a good point to bring up maintenance because I know Commissioner Vu brought that up as well. And um, so we do work with our maintenance teams in, in, in the whole process and get their feedback on, on capital projects. and. Uh, I've been in several meetings now where our maintenance folks have been in there and said, hey, have you thought about not putting a tree planter right there? You know, those kinds of things. And so um, uh, it is for sure a consideration. Yeah. Patrick? Yeah, I just have two comments. Um, one is I really like the discussion about how the newly incorporated, I guess it's been 10 years now, but the unincorporated, new incorporated part of Kirkland um, and seeing that hearing from you guys that it is being you know, taken a look at in terms of zoning and so forth, it, we don't actually explicitly kind of treat that area differently. And we've talked in the past about how that area has, and I, I'm biased because I grew up in that area, um, but uh, what we don't actually give any kind of more weight to that area because of, I mean, we talk about the, the maintenance burden, right? That it's, it's, there's different maintenance and, and so forth. So is there away from a land use standpoint, knowing that it's, it's been a special area in terms of not having been uh, adequately funded in terms of transportation for a while to catch, have, to catch up that area, if that needs to be as part of this land use or as part of somewhere else in the scoring criteria. But I, th I like the idea of if we're giving special treatment or special attention to this area that we want them to catch up or uh, catch up in terms of maintenance or catch up in terms of land use growth and zoning upsizing or whatever we want to do that might be something that, I don't know if politically that's, uh, that's attainable, but I think that from a uh, programming standpoint, that might be something to consider. 
I would just like to, you know, and with that too, as we are working on things like the Bridal Trails shopping area, the uh, right now Kingsgate and uh, Juanita neighborhood shopping areas, because we are looking at how are we going to increase the 10 minute neighborhood so people aren't going into their cars. Well, when you look at a map like that and you see such a large area and then a very small section is a shopping area. We need to do our job better so that it is um, both you can connect to it and two, that the goods and services are there um, and goods and services will never be there if people can't get there. So that's why, um, you know, when we're looking at the neighborhood plans, we're trying to make it so that it can be more prosperous. Um, and then hopefully transportation can get people there. Uh, yeah, I do have my second uh, comment, though, because I, I like the conversation we're having about cost, because I, I didn't imply necessarily that we're doing costing up front, because I know we're doing CapEx and OpEx a little bit later on in terms of after prioritization. But my, co my comment really is, is that we are doing subjective scoring at some point. I mean, we're translating all this, these impacts into a score, and then we're attributing that to a larger score. So my comment really is, well, maintenance, that life cycle, that maintenance look of things, that detriment is different for different projects. Certain facilities don't have that long trail of like maintenance uh, associated with them. But you build a road, somebody's got to sweep it, somebody's got to repave it, somebody's got to do something for it, restripe it, whatever. So there's a maintenance tail to some of these projects that we're looking at. And so I would challenge the staff to say, look, there are projects that are very very cool in, in the sense that you said and you forget it and gives that great uh, you know, uh, kind of mobility impact versus some of the other ones which may have a lot of hidden cost that will take away from future ability to, to reinvest in other t facilities. So That's a very good point. Thank you. So do we have anyone else? I might add just kind of We've had some really good discussion about kind of emphasis on neighborhood centers, which I think is really good. Um, one thing that I'm looking at the scoring throughout and kind of trying to look at it both with the land use lens as well as kind of how a project in general would score. And um, kind of going back to my time with Juanita Neighborhood, working with their board, with projects that were suggested through the suggested project for the neighborhood safety program, one of the challenges has always been if you're not on an arterial, if you're in a neighborhood, you're not in like the neighborhood center areas, how do you get improvements funded for, you know, well-lit streets for sidewalks that don't exist? Is it really just relying on redevelopment only? And I don't know, you know, if you're not on a safe routes to school, which is helping in a lot of those cases, but um, that's a limited scope. Do we have a path for starting to tackle some of those conditions and a lot of the feedback that has been coming in? I do think it is the safer routes to school and the ATP, and and I, hopefully the commission is aware we have the transportation benefit district to fund those. But keep in mind the I think it's the five year or six year transportation benefit district only funds the top forty projects of a hundred and fifty. Projects, 150. So, <laughs> so what you're talking about here is you've got, you know, the 
um, active transportation plan that has how many projects in that? Oh, I don't know if I have a full number, but we have a pretty dense list of. Anyway, uh, we looked at all of our sidewalks. So you have that. <laughs> you have the safer routes to school plan, right? You've got, um, and so, and then now we're doing this, and so it's. All, I don't know how all of these are going to come together, but ultimately, um, they're all going to have to align together, you know, and then. It does come down to, at the end of the day, how much funding do we have? How much revenue do we have to implement these projects? And as you you know very well, we do a combination of grants. We do local funds. We do, but um, I, I can tell you the grants is getting more competitive and very tricky. And then you know, on top of this, we're, we'll present this at the Transportation Commission. We have NPDS. You know this, I'm sure, with your work. Um, you know, those requirements are adding significant cost to transportation projects. I'm not talking a little. I'm talking four times um, significant costs. So, and then we want all these projects. So you can imagine why <laughs> Doug is very much like, we're constrained, we're constrained trying to manage expectations because we want so much and we have the need is so great and it, and so you could see why we're trying to make something that we feel very passionate about, whether it's every sidewalk in every neighborhood, but trying to find a way to put it in an objective way um, because the needs are so great and the revenue is so, so limited. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, for someone, I actually live right on the fringe of a neighborhood center, so I would be like, you know, right, right on the the, the well-scoring area. Um, I'm just thinking of people that might not be near these areas, and they see everyone else getting points yep. for for projects that support maybe um, items in their area, and it was just, do we feel like we have a good balance approach going into how we're scoring the projects? I think these are all really great points. And one thing I want to um, emphasize is that this is one piece of the prioritization puzzle. So this is the main, like, big, big effort, right? And we're going we're gonna to put a lot of work into refining this and then actually scoring the projects and getting a list. And then we're going to get community feedback on it. So we're going to go back out to the community. So there will be an element of that. that It's not just one and done. It's going to be yeah. we'll get a draft out in front of the community because we know that when it comes to the transportation plan, the project list is usually where people care the most <laughs> about. So goals and policies are fine, but, you know, it's we're where the rubber meets the road. And so um, uh, we will be going out to the public again, um, and then we will go through the city council process as well. So there's going to have, or there's going to be a lot of input um, on this going forward. So um, hopefully that will help us get to a list that's mostly supported by the community. Okay, yeah, thanks. And I, I know it's a hard question because there's really no perfect answer to it. Um, but I think we've got a lot of really good elements in here, and I know I really appreciated the equity discussion because I think that's an even bigger piece in all of this. Um, but yeah, so. does anyone else have anything to add? I think we've made it through almost everyone. Rodney? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I as I was thinking more about the the, the scoring model here, uh, it occurred to me that we basically have. 30 buckets, I, I guess a leading question to this is about how many projects, like on order of magnitude are we talking about, like is it in the hundreds, is it like close to a thousand, or like how many are we trying to score here? <laughs> That's 
We were. It's a good question. Um, we were just having a debate about that today. Um, for instance, our if you look at the active transportation plan, um, the bicycle network is pretty dense, and so um, you know how how much of that gets pulled in. Because when we looked at that at the active transportation plan, we looked at existing bike facilities and for improvements, and then where there are gaps. So I don't have the exact number. Um, but we are we're kind of going through that list, and um, but it you know it could the list is going to be kind of long. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I just wanted that, that background before I before I make the remainder of of this comment. So you end up with basically about thirty buckets um, because you know most of the scores are, are ten, and then you have a couple of five point tiebreakers in there. So then you end up with okay thirty buckets, and you're going to have probably like a bell curve sort of distribution within that. Um, and so you're going to start looking at the highest project ones, that, the high end of the tail. Um, and I guess your tail is over here, right? Um, and, and, um, uh, and then as you work down the list, you're going to end up with like a stack of, of uh, you know, more that are like at that point where you're like, this is what can we, we can afford. You're going to end up with a whole bunch that are like scored, have the same score, and you're going to have to like figure out. So I'm wondering now, like, um, uh, is that actually enough buckets to help you make that decision when you get to that point in in that bell curve? Um, and um, you know, going back to the the point I was making in, near the beginning about uh, uh, about figuring out uh, you know the metrics that we could use to score it, I want to highlight the equity metric as being a what I think is a great example. I haven't really dug into the details of it yet. I saw that some of the details were included in the packet. I just didn't have a chance to like really wrap my head around it. I think that's a really great example of, of a uh, n very nuanced uh, approach to how we could assess the effectiveness of these, of these attributes. And I'd love to see that more. And if you do that, I think you could even uh, get a lot more granularity in the score. I mean, you could, there's, there's no need at that point to uh, break up the equity metric into these you know, 10-point chunks. You can actually get... Uh, a much finer distribution and get a lot more clarity on, um, you know, when you are looking at the, you know, the, the line of what we can afford or what we can't, um, get a much clearer sorting of, of the prioritization within that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's all I have. Thanks. One thing I'll also mention is um, we also will have to balance um, our, our spending by uh, making sure that we're addressing all modes and so um, that's just something that will also be a consideration too. Yeah, and that, that's kind of like another, kind of like a different attribute of equity, I, I would almost think, like modal equity. To answer your first question, I don't think we want to add more criteria. This is um, uh, about as big as I think it would be manageable, to be honest. Um, yeah, I wasn't suggesting more criteria. I was thinking more granularity within okay. each of the criteria, and maybe even you know, with without specifying you know the the individual thresholds, um, but more having like a metric that you're using to calculate. And, and maybe what you're getting at is the equity metric is already very complicated to measure, and and that that's maybe <laughs> administrative costly, and. Uh, but I'd still encourage you to think about like what are maybe some some useful proxies that would be simpler to measure um, uh, if if that's deemed to be impractical. 
All right. Kim, I'll turn it back over to you. Um, well, um, this has been a really great discussion. Um, I want to thank everybody for all of your thoughtful comments. Um, we heard some really great comments today, and I'm looking forward to um, sitting back down with Doug and Victoria to kind of sort out how we might address some of them. And um, we will be going to council um, for um, the study session at their second meeting in November. Um, and so we'll be um, reporting back to them on the comments that we heard from you all today. Um, so really appreciate the, the time, everybody. Um, so I would say now we are, uh, unless, is your staff, you have more presentation for us? No more presentation, but just one announcement. I think we had an item in the agenda for like updates and announcements, and, um, and this is for the Transportation Commission. So um, we will be holding a special meeting on the 29th of November. Um, I still haven't heard from a couple of you, so if you can, please RSVP um, to myself and, and Franz. Um, that will help us uh, kind of plan for the meeting. So, um, yeah, that's all. So our meeting will continue after this, and we'll have a break, um, and then we will, uh, you know, come back in five minutes, and we'll continue. Um, so, do we have any comments from the audience? Great. Any other comments from uh, any commissioners? Thank you for your time. Well, I would like. Okay, yes, we do have one comment from uh, Stand up to the podium, and if you could uh, uh, state your name, it would be great. Okay. My name is Ingrid Thank you. And I would like to thank you. It was great uh, having all the information because we see it uh, just from one standpoint, and it is it's refreshing and, and great to see it from the transportation standpoint. And it's also been good to have this be a joint meeting to have all of the planning expertise side as well because I know we get kind of very focused on the transportation side, but it is they go hand in hand. Okay. Um, thank you, and I'm going to close the meeting.